Today, we talk with a trademark expert who has filed more than 1,000 trademarks. We'll talk about everything you need to know about trademarks for your brands. My name is Stephen Pope, and this is the My Amazon Guy podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Alpha Ravenhouse. If you want to triple your daily sales by ranking your products to the top of page one at 10% of the usual costs and getting verified reviews along the way, they're your solution. Check them out at alpharavenhouse.com. So I'm now joined by Preston with brandregistrytrademark.com. And I've got to say, a thousand trademarks, you've probably seen a few things in your day. Yeah, when you do that many, you definitely see lots of different facets um, and you see lots of different aspects of businesses and things that go right and things that go wrong. Well, I appreciate you joining me on my podcast today. So just to set you up for our audience, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you guys do. Sure. My name is Preston Frischnecht, and I'm an intellectual property attorney. I'm a registered patent attorney, and I um, basically run a small legal practice that focuses exclusively on intellectual property. So that would be patents, trademarks, copyrights, and anything that's related to those issues. Great. And so uh, since you filed so many trademarks, uh, I have to ask, have uh, any, any interesting ones? What's like the funniest trademark you've had to file? Um, I think, you know, the laws changed a little bit in the last year or two based on a Supreme Court decision. So a lot of the funnier trademarks right now are, you know, four letter words. Um, basically, <laughs> the decision had to deal with um, making it possible to protect things that were previously considered um, maybe immoral or obscene. And so people are getting pretty creative with uh, some some colorful terms recently. Well, uh, I doubt Amazon will appreciate that, but who knows how that plays out. Um, so, all right, so let's talk about trademarks. There's so much to know. It's a very complicated field, and you're an expert in this. So if, if I have never filed a trademark before, what's the first thing I should know? That's a good question. You know, getting a trademark is a legal process, and so there are lots of different laws that apply to this area. And, you know, I think the first things that that are helpful to be aware of is knowing how to pick the right type of mark. Um, there's actually laws that address the topic of whether a certain type of mark is more protectable than another. So if you know some of the categories that um, are more protectable, then that will help you select a mark. And then beyond that, there are other things to take into consideration. For example, whether the mark you have is too similar to another mark for a related product in the market. And those types of things can be obstacles to your getting a registration. They can also generate liability, legal liability for your company. So talk, talk to me a little bit about that. The legal liability, I wouldn't have assumed if I file a trademark, there might be some legal implications. Sure. Yeah. The, the most important thing, I think, and the reason why, you know, it's it's nice to find an expert in this area is because a lot of people think of a trademark application um, kind of along the lines as maybe like a domain name registration where you just jump online, you know, you go on to GoDaddy or whatever and see if it's available. And if it's available, then you buy it for 10 bucks. Trademarks are a little bit different in the sense that um, the analysis is more complicated. You don't just look to see if the mark that you're trying to protect 
is being used by someone else, but you also look to see if there's a similar type of mark. So something that's in the ballpark, things that are phonetically similar maybe, or things that give the same commercial impression, all those kinds of things can be considered confusingly similar. And if you've got something that's confusingly similar to someone that has prior rights, then basically what you're walking into is trademark infringement. And so it's, it's something that's a little more complicated than just filling out a form online and seeing where it lands. It's doing some due diligence up front to make sure that what you're launching is something that has space to land and that's going to land safely. So the first trademark I ever filed was a couple of years ago, and and uh, I did exactly kind of what you mentioned. I thought it was like filing for a registered domain. Uh, and uh, so I went out and I, I read all the videos, and I did it, and I filled it out, and I submitted it. And so the, the trademark I submitted was for a brand called uh, Mobster, M-O-M-S-T-I-R. And, and it went through just fine. I didn't have any challenges, uh, but it was a very frustrating process to try and learn it. And so uh, I definitely recommend my viewers uh, to get an expert. It is, it is not worth the countless amount of hours it takes to go file it yourself. Uh, you should hire an expert like Preston, who's joined the call today, uh, to, to make sure it's done correctly. Uh, there are so many mistakes you can make along the way. One of the mistakes that I personally see uh, people make is their specimen. So maybe you could speak a little bit briefly on that. Any tips or recommendations or common mistakes you see on specimens? Sure. There's, there's really a lot of different things to talk about in this particular area, but um, a couple of the big ones. Um, there, there are two different routes you can go about when you file for a trademark application. One is called an intent-to-use application, and another is called a use-based application. So under an intent to use application, basically what you're saying to the trademark office is, hey, I'm not necessarily using this right now, but I will be doing it so at some point in the future, so start examining it now. With that type of application, you don't submit a specimen. Um, with a use-based application, you, you start off by submitting a specimen. And at some point in any application, you're gonna submit a specimen. Um, there are many advantages to, to filing a, an intent to use application instead of a use-based application. That's one thing that a lot of people that try to do it themselves don't know. Um, but there are, there are really a lot of advantages to doing that former type of application. Another um, thing that I, I find pretty commonly with do-it-yourself type, type folks is that um, they'll apply for a mark and then when they submit a specimen, the trademark office will come back and say, wait a second, the specimen that you have submitted is different than the mark that you've applied for. And the trademark office is very particular and very sort of uh, precise about matching up what you've applied for and the specimen that you submit. And a lot of people aren't really aware of how precise those two things need to match up. And so that's Saints. another... Same thing with Amazon, right? So yep. um, I onboard clients all the time at my Amazon guy and their trademark is for an all caps word and they want to have a brand name with proper case with just a capital first letter. And I'm like, sorry, you got to match your trademark name. And yep. uh, that's a multi-thousand dollar mistake branding affected that somebody like, like you, Preston, would just catch immediately and say, hey, are you sure you want to file this in all caps? Are you sure yep. you want a space here? 
You know, I don't see a lot of trademarks with that apostrophe on the E at the end. You sure you want to do that? Right. So like, that's the kind of thing I think, you you know, you're probably catching on a daily basis if I had to guess. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, uh, let's talk a little bit about trademarks and how they relate to Amazon. So for those that don't know, you need a trademark to get what's called brand registry on Amazon. Brand registry is really cool because it gets you access to new types of advertisements, A plus content, brand stores, the list goes on. You can even see, you know, track product reviews easier. A lot, a lot of brand dashboard benefits. Um, so one of the, one of the things that kind of popped out of Amazon here in the last couple of months is this program called the IP accelerator and they get your trademark quicker. Um, and it, and, and that can be a benefit, right? Six month process for a trademark. Normally that's a long time, but Preston, what, what's your opinion on the IP accelerator based on what you've seen? So I think that you pointed out the main advantage correctly, which is I think the IP accelerator program is sort of a preferential path that Amazon has laid out. And they say, you know, look, if you use the attorneys that we like, we'll bump you to the front of the line and get you on the brand registry now. And then uh, if something goes wrong and you don't get your trademark registration, we'll kick you off. But for the time being, we'll move you up to the front of the line. That's the main advantage. The main drawback is is Amazon is saying that they've pre-negotiated the rates and they sort of um, pitched that as a, as a good thing. They've said, you know, we've pre-negotiated the rates and, and um, so you don't need to worry about that. But there have been a lot of statistics done in this area and we know really well what people pay on average for these type of services. And you really end up paying significantly more by going through the IP accelerator program on average than you would using, um, you know, basically a mid to large sized law firm. And, you know, part of what we do with our services is try to undercut that even more. And so really, you know, with what we do, or at least my company does in particular, is we're doing those services for a fraction of the price that the uh, IP accelerator program does them for. Got it. So it's just a question of uh, cost and speed. Um, and then in terms of expertise, um, so I know very little about the IP accelerator beyond what you've just stated. That is pretty much my own understanding of it. Um, do, do, do you see them as qualified or, or do they offer different services? Do you think there's any superior or inferior elements? You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the firms that are listed on the IP accelerator program are not um, the biggest, most well-known firms in the country. In fact, I don't know any of them. I haven't dealt with any of those firms. Um, I have no reason to, to doubt that they're competent with what they're doing. And I assume, you know, if they're doing that type of work that hopefully they're competent. Um, for me, I think the biggest issue is costs. Um, you know, getting the biggest bang for your buck. That, that's essentially what, what I, if I were a business owner or an Amazon seller, that's kind of what I would be aiming for is how can I get the most for the least? And so um, in that sense, I think there are lots of options to look at. Got it. We'll, we'll move on from the IP accelerator. So um, how do you know if you've got a good trademark? That's a great question. Um, typically, when people come to me, they've already picked a brand. Um, but if you come to me early enough and you say, look, I'm in the process of picking brands, um, I usually try to guide people and give them some, some guidelines that they can use to select a good mark. 
And one of the simplest rules to keep in mind when you're picking a, a, a trademark is to make it distinctive. Trademark law says that brands that are more distinctive are more protectable and brands that are not distinctive are not protectable. Okay, how do you tell when something's distinctive or not? The easy way to think about it is if you've got a generic name. So, you know, if I had a product that was like uh, a clock and, you know, my brand name for my clock is clock, uh, that's not going to be a protectable brand. It's not distinctive. You're basically calling the product what it is. Um, but if you were to call, you know, the clock, the, the ninja clock or something like that, you know, think of something that adds a little bit of distinction onto it that makes it more protectable. And the strongest marks have to do with words that are made up. They're completely made up words or logos that really have no close association between the brand and the product. Um, and a good example of that may be the Apple logo. So an, an apple with a bite out of it really doesn't have anything to do with computers. There's no direct association with between those two things, but Apple has forged this identity in the marketplace um, for this particular symbol uh, so that when people see that, they know inherently that that's an, an Apple computer. So the strongest marks are the most distinctive, the weakest are the least distinctive. Usually if you're starting a company or starting a brand, you're trying to land somewhere in the middle because you wanna tell your, your potential customers what it is you're selling. You wanna have something catchy um, that maybe hints towards what you're selling, but doesn't totally let the cat out of the bag, if that makes sense. It does. And and so you mentioned that clock example. Um, I, th I think what you're describing is if your mark is too descriptive, then it won't get approved. Is that is that what you're talking about? Yes. that's In fact, that's one of the categories that um, there's, there's four or five major categories. The weakest marks are generic or descriptive. Those are a couple categories of, of marks that are not protectable. And then once, once you get into a mark that's suggestive, um, meaning that it doesn't directly tell the consumer some aspect of the product, but it kind of hints a little bit towards it, then that's where you start getting into a protectable brand. And beyond that, you get into the arbitrary and fanci fanciful marks where you know the word's made up, it's a logo that's completely disassociated with the product. Those are the strongest. So you're exactly right. One of the other areas that I know we have struggled with is location in name marks. I would I would love to pick your brain on this one. So um, we've tried to we've tried to file marks for you know things that have like the name Kyoto in it, and haven't had success on this because the product wasn't made in Kyoto, Japan. What can you share wisdom-wise on whether you should have a location in your name or maybe you shouldn't? Yeah, that's that's another great question. And really the area of law that that deals with is descriptiveness. And what the trademark office is trying to say is that if you've got something that's too descriptive, we don't want you to lock it up. We don't want you to lock up city names or the names of people, um, that kind of thing. But there are some caveats to that general rule where you can name things geographically um, or give them a person's name. And some of those caveats have to do with lesser known locations. So if you have you know, a, the name of a location that's not commonly known, then that's typically something that you can use um, to brand your product. Or in some instances, if you have a location that is far away from where you are, um, 
and when when I mean uh, what I'm meaning to say with that is it's far away from where you're sourcing your product or where your corporate headquarters are. In lots of instances, if if there's some space between the geographical location you're trying to use as a brand and where you are, that can fit into an exception. And so those are some, you know, uh, examples of exceptions, but uh, really it's going to be case by case. So I wouldn't eliminate geographic names or person's names entirely from consideration, but this is really where it's worth it to sit down with an expert to see, you know, is there space for a brand in my particular application? Um, and that's something that someone can help you work through. So that makes perfect sense. And uh, there's a lot of complications with that, I'm sure. Um, all right. So next question for you. So me as an Amazon agency, my Amazon guy, and most of my clients, really the only thing on our minds is we just want brand registry, right? Um, but I assume there's probably some more value to a trademark outside of Amazon. Help help educate me on that one. Yeah, I, you know, and that's what a lot, you know, we, we work with a lot of Amazon sellers too, and that's what they're they're looking for is to get on the brand registry because that's the immediate payoff for them of having a registered trademark. Um, to look at it a little bit more broadly, I think there are a lot of long-term advantages to having uh, protected your rights. And, you know, if you want to sort of pull up at a 30,000 foot level, something that's interesting to look at is, you know, there are, there are people who have crunched the data of the value in companies. And, you know, back in the seventies, most of the value in companies came from the hard assets in that company. So, you know, if you made widgets, it was all the widgets that's in your warehouse or, you know, if you've got a building, it's the building or, or, or whatever assets you've got. But if you look at it now, the S&P 500, almost 90% of the value of those companies comes from their intangible assets. So it's not their buildings, it's not their inventory, it's not all that stuff, it's the actual brand value. And, you know, you can say that's, that's great for S&P 500 companies, I'm just a little mom and pop shop, but it operates the same way. Um, your brand can become essentially an appraisable asset in your company. And that's what I think a lot of um, businesses' goals should be, is how can I build value in my company the, the quickest and the most effectively? And when you lock up brands as assets, those can actually add baseline value. So that's the long term. The short term is, is maybe the brand registered trademark in the sort of in, in intermediate parts of those two perspectives, you've got um, a lot of competition management you can do. There are a lot of games that you can play when you have locked up your intellectual property rights against your competition. And most people just aren't aware of them. And if you look at how the game's played at the highest levels, you'll see that people are throwing their elbows around. You know, if they have intellectual property assets, they know how to use them. Um, and, and we've been very effective helping a lot of sellers um, delist competitors. Um, lots of times without the seller even having an intellectual property basis to do so to begin with, it's just someone coming to me and saying, I'm having a lot of trouble with this competitor. Is there something we can do? And, you know, we can, we can find or establish intellectual property hooks to manage them and um, basically increase the bottom line. Great. Uh, so if somebody has the opposite side of that spectrum where they have 
accidentally infringed on a trademark on Amazon, what should they do? That's another great question. And again, it goes, I think, to the fact that a lot of people, for a lot of people, this is kind of nebulous territory. It's a little unexplored. They don't know where rights begin and where rights end. And so um, we also help a lot of people who are defending against infringement allegations. And we can help those people understand better where rights begin and end. Because it's one thing to get a really scary letter from an attorney, right, that says, stop what you're doing, you know, change everything or we're going to sue you. And it's another thing to understand, okay, that argument has a 5% chance of succeeding. Like, it's just wrong. And so lots of times um, on the backside of things, it's really worth exploring where exactly are the lines and the rights here and what are my options for negotiating? You know, lots of times there's a lot of room to negotiate. You can negotiate phase out periods, even if you're 100% in violation of someone else's rights. If you have someone who knows what they're doing, they can buy you time. And that time can help you work through inventory, can help you pivot to something else that, that's more um, uh, closely aligned with what you wanted to do rather than what someone else makes you do. And so it's it's typically worthwhile to sit down with an expert or to partner with an expert to find out what options are. So so for somebody who's ready to get started with brand registry trademarks, your business, Preston, what, what, what's the first step? Um, you know, one of the things that we've really tried to do, our goal is to be affordable. We don't want to be a normal law firm. And so we want to give people a lot of value and be sort of, you know, I think we're in the bottom quartile of of costs. Um, and what we're trying to do is offer the top 10% level of services for the bottom quartile of price. And typically what I want to do is just understand what people are doing. Um, if I can understand what they're doing and find out where they want to go, then I can kind of um, show them the options that they might have or tools that they haven't considered. Um, and what we do is we do a lot of consultations, really. If you look at our process, um, you know, we're talking to people a lot and we're trying to include a lot of that time in our price in our pricing. So people aren't worried about, oh, my gosh, I'm talking to an attorney for six minutes. I got to pay for all this. You know, we try to build in a lot of consultation time up front so that, um, that we can we can get people where they want to go. Well, perfect. Well, Preston, it was a pleasure talking with you today. There is such a foreign world, complicated, complex world in the trademark world, and I'm sure uh, you know how to navigate it. So if somebody needs your service, they just go to brandregistrytrademarks.com. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. All right. Well, perfect. That is the My Amazon Guy show today. So uh, if you are new to My Amazon Guy, maybe you came in from Pre Preston's um, group of people, um, My Amazon Guy is a one-stop shop for all things Amazon. We can help you with uh, getting your listings created, SEO and PPC, all of your keywords. And then once you have that brand registry, you need to go get that uh, A-plus content in place. We do that for 500 bucks right on the website. Go to myamazonguy.com. Thanks so much for listening today. We hope you subscribe to the My Amazon Guy podcast.